Good evening. It's Thursday, April 13th. Welcome to a new episode of System Update, our live nightly show that airs every Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, exclusively here on Rumble, the free speech alternative to YouTube. Tonight, the FBI arrested a 21-year-old whom they claim is the person who leaked dozens of classified documents on the Internet, showing far greater U.S. involvement in the war in Ukraine than had been previously acknowledged by the Biden administration. But it was not the FBI that hunted down and found the accused leaker, Jack Teixeira of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. Instead, it was two newspapers. The Washington Post, which early this morning provided every possible detail about the leaker to enable the FBI to identify and find him. And then the New York Times, which named him, outed him before the FBI could find him itself. They've now arrested him as a result of the work of those two newspapers. It was their work in conjunction with the site Bellingcat, funded by both the United States government and the EU, that enabled the FBI to find and apprehend the alleged leaker. The idea of journalism, ostensibly, in theory, is to bring transparency to what the most secretive and powerful institutions are doing in the dark, exactly what this leak did. Why then would self-proclaimed journalism outlets do the job of the FBI and hunt down the leaker and boast of the fact that they were the ones who found him even before the FBI did. Why would a 21-year-old with the National Guard, whom the BBC describes as holding the rank of Airman First Class, quote, a relatively junior position, have access to what media outlets have been claiming are the government's most sensitive and potentially damaging secrets? As we have been reporting and doc demonstrating since Trump was inaugurated, the function of the U.S. corporate media has always been to act as propagandists and messengers for the U.S. security state. But in the Trump era, this relationship even intensified further as the CIA, FBI, and Homeland Security became the most valuable allies, the leaders of the ongoing attempt to sabotage Trump and his movement. Still, the only thing more bizarre and twisted then watching journalists turn themselves into the leading advocates for internet censorship is watching them so eagerly and explicitly dedicate themselves to doing the work of the FBI by hunting down and exposing leakers of classified documents, handing their head on a pike to the U.S. government. And yet that's exactly what media outlets did, and we'll examine all of the implications of that tonight. As a programming note, because today is Thursday, we would ordinarily have our live interactive show on Locals, but because I'll be appearing on Tucker Carlson's Fox program tonight, immediately following the show at the top of his show starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, we'll have our Locals after show tomorrow night instead. For now, welcome to a new episode of System Update starting right now. There aren't many ways to define the function of a free press and what journalism is without referencing the way in which journalists are supposed to bring transparency to the most powerful institutions. Nobody needs a free press to bring to the public the messages of institutions of authority and power. They're very capable of doing that themselves. There'd be no value to a free press if that's all they did. If every day you picked up the New York Times and the Washington Post and read what you in fact read in those newspapers, which is X, Y, and Z happened, according to government officials. That's the framework, the standard metric for how media outlets report. But if they don't expose government secrets that the government doesn't want you to know, there's really no value to a free press because it's not serving as a check, an adversarial check 
on institutions of authority, which is the foundational reason why a free press matters. If you read the founders, the entire idea of checks and balances included what they called the fourth estate, which though not part of government, is nonetheless a crucial part of the framework to maintain a balance of power between various institutions. Knowing that there are people out there who are doing journalism, who are using what was then the printing press and now is all kinds of other technology to check what institutions of authority are saying, to, to reveal what they're trying to hide is one of the crucial, most crucial ways to keep these institutions of authority honest. One of the ways, arguably the only real way, that we as journalists now have to show the public what these institutions of power are doing in the dark is through leaks. Leaks of the things that they don't want you to see, oftentimes being classified information. Classified information is not some sacred text. Classified information is nothing more than a document or a piece of information that the government has stamped on that word, classified or top secret, because they want to make it illegal for you to learn about it. That's the effect of calling a document classified or top secret. And one of the things I learned in working with many large archives of government secrets and classified material is that more often than not, when the government calls something classified or top secret, it's not because they're trying to protect you, it's because they're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to make it illegal for anybody to show what it is that they're saying and doing in the dark because what they're saying and doing in the dark is composed of deceit, corruption, or illegality. And that's why the most important journalism over the last 50 years beginning with the Pentagon Papers, through the WikiLeaks reporting, through the Snowden reporting, and all kinds of other major investigations have taken place when people have been able to show you, the public, documents and other information that people inside the government wanted you not to see and made it illegal for anyone to show it to you. That's the dynamic between actual journalism on the one hand, and powerful institutional state actors on the other. That is always supposed to be what that relationship is about. But along the way, over not since just Trump, but over the last many decades, the largest media corporations in the United States, the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC News, CNN, have become the opposite of adversarial to intelligence agencies. They have become the leading propagandists, the leading messengers. Whenever the CIA or the FBI or Homeland Security wants to disseminate propaganda, they go to those, their favorite media outlets, their favorite journalists, they tell them what to say, and those journalists then go and say it. And also, oftentimes, it's presented as a leak to make you feel like it's unauthorized. They'll refer to anonymous sources to make you kind of to evoke that sentiment of deep throat meeting the Watergate reporters in a garage and passing them information, even though that kind of, that original transaction that's supposed to have that image pop into your mind itself is highly suspicious. But that's what most leaks are when they're given to places like the New York Times and the Washington Post. They have the theater, the appearance, the costume of being unauthorized, but in fact, they're completely authorized. 
So the CIA goes to Natasha Bertrand now at CNN and tells, CNN, and tells her to say that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation or that Trump has been found to have a secret server with the Russian Alpha Bank or that Russians have put bounties on the heads of American soldiers and Trump is doing nothing about it, all of which turned out to be totally untrue, or the FBI goes to Ken Delaney or the CIA goes to Ken Delaney at NBC News and tells him that the Russians are using some kind of super advanced machine to attack the brains of service members and diplomats in Havana and around the world, the Havana syndrome, to make you think that Trump is allowing Russia to attack our service members without doing anything about it. This is propaganda and deceit, those kind of leaks. These are authorized leaks from the government. And that's, of course, where Russiagate come from, came from. And it's how the Bush and Cheney administration sold the country on the lies that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction by going to the New York Times and the Washington Post and NBC News and feeding them instructions about what they should say. And then those newspapers mindlessly put it on the front page of their newspaper. And so we learned from the Iraq War, from the War on Terror, and then from the Trump years, including Russiagate, that the real function, the actual function of these media outlets is not to be adversarial at all to intelligence agencies or to the US government, but to be their servants, their messengers, their allies, their propagandists. And oftentimes, they'll go so far as they did in Russiagate to even give themselves Pulitzers when they publish information and disseminate information to the public that came directly from the CIA and the FBI, even though it turned out to be totally false. So the fact that this relationship on the one hand between the largest media corporations in the country and on the other, the intelligence community in particular, is one of subservience and collaboration is something that we have been writing about and reporting on and talking about for many years. But what happened in the last 48 hours is really a new manifestation of it. It's a completely new escalation. What they're really telling you is they don't even want to pretend anymore what their real function is. They are basically acknowledging to you that their role is to act as servants for the FBI and the CIA. As you know, we've been covering it on our show. There has been a leak of dozens of classified material, some of which have been labeled top secret. But as we reviewed, there's really nothing particularly dangerous about any of these revelations. There's no even viable argument that it's putting people in harm's way. They don't contain any names of undercover agents in the field. There's nothing in there that is even particularly sensitive. And we tried dissecting these documents to demonstrate to you, based on my experience of many years of working on many different archives of classified information with WikiLeaks, with the NSA, that these are not the kind of documents that are really the most sensitive secrets. That's clear and obvious. But that doesn't mean that they are bereft of important revelations. They do have some important revelations. Some of them show, for example, that the United States, contrary to the claims of the Biden administration, has deployed US special forces inside Ukraine. And there are other NATO countries, including the UK and Latvia and others, that have done the same. Of course, that's something we ought to know if the government is more involved in the war in Ukraine than they've been telling us. And we'll go through some of the other important revelations, including the fact that the United States government is saying there will be no resolution to the war in Ukraine through 2023. There will be no negotiations. There will be no diplomatic settlement. There will be nothing but 
ongoing, grinding, endless war that you will pay for beyond the $100 billion already authorized. That was the purpose of this leak, to show people that the Biden administration has been deceiving the public about the role that we're playing there and about what our objectives are. And there's other important revelations here as well. And yet the New York Times and the Washington Post, instead of protecting sources, which is the role of journalists, instead has led the way to hunting down this source, to hunting down the leaker, to digging in an investigative way to find out who this leaker is and hand that information over to the FBI. They're, they're handmaidens now of the FBI. It's, I've never seen anything like it before. As journalists, we're supposed to rely on leaks. That's what we need and use in order to do our reporting. The idea that a journalist would be the one to actually go and find out who this leaker is and then reveal it publicly to the FBI is something that, honestly, I didn't even think I would see, notwithstanding that there are a few people who hold, hold them in greater contempt than I do. So let's just look at what's really going on here. First, what they did and the broader context of what the corporate media has become in terms of its relationship to the intelligence community. So as I said earlier this morning, the Washington Post published a lengthy article, the title of which was Discord Member Details How Documents Leak from Closed Chat Group. And it was actually out last night, and so a lot of people saw it uh, first thing in the morning. And what this was was essentially a blueprint for the FBI to find exactly who this leaker was and where he was. It penetrated the Discord group, the small Discord group, where these documents were first leaked. They spoke on tape to a 17-year-old who was part of the group, and they stressed they did it with his parents' permission. And the 17-year-old described in great detail who this person was, who, the le who, who was the leaker, that he was a young man in his early 20s, that he was a member of the military, and gave all the breadcrumbs, the digital breadcrumbs for the FBI to find him. I was shocked when I saw this article. I really was. It was focused not on the substantive revelations of what these documents show, but instead on painting the perfect path, kind of leading the, the FBI down the path with breadcrumbs directly to the door of this leaker. It was incredibly obvious, as soon as you saw this Washington Post article, that the FBI was just a matter of hours before they were going to find the leaker, because the, the Washington Post led the FBI to him on purpose. And I watched all day today as not a single journalist in corporate media stood up and said, wait a minute, is this really our role? Is it our role now to act as law enforcement where we're going we're gonna to expose leakers to the public and ensure they go to prison? Isn't it supposed to be our role to work with leakers and encourage them to come forward and give us information about what the government is doing in secret that is the truth rather than what they're telling the public? Now journalists play the role of hunting leakers and wanting to see people punished who disclose classified information? Evidently, that is the, not just the role of the Washington Post, but the understanding of the role of almost everybody in corporate media because virtually nobody stood up and said, wait a minute, we shouldn't be doing this. This, isn't, this is the opposite of our role. Everybody cheered the Washington Post and said, wow, this is an incredibly important and intrepid scoop that they got. Now, 
it wasn't the FBI who found that bread, where those breadcrumbs led first. It was instead the New York Times. They obviously felt annoyed that the Washington Post had scooped them, and they went one step further. They actually went and found the name of the leaker and announced it to the world and described how they, the proof that they had that he was actually the leaker. So here is the New York Times article that was just out this afternoon, and there you see the headline, here's what we know about the leaker, the, the leaker of the online, sorry, the leader of the online group where secret documents were leaked. Jack Teixeira, a 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, was arrested on Thursday. There's the article. The leader of a small online gaming chat group where a trove of classified U.S. intelligence documents leaked over the last few months is a 21-year-old member of the intelligence wing of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, according to interviews and documents reviewed by the New York Times. The National Guardman, whose name is Jack Teixeira, oversaw a private online group named Thug Shaker Central, where about 20 to 30 people, mostly young men and teenagers, came together over a shared love of guns, racist online memes, and video games. Note how they're already trying to get you to hate this person by telling you that he was spreading racist memes. Already, that is a signal to the liberal leaders that this is a bad and evil person who you're supposed to hate and be happy has been arrested. Even though he did the work of the New York Times and the Washington Post, which was exposing the reality of the U.S. role in the war in Ukraine. The New York Times goes on, quote, federal investigators have been searching for days for the person who leaked the top secret documents online, but have not identified Airman Teixeira or anyone else as a, a suspect. Exactly. That's the job of the FBI. The FBI has been searching. They have not found the leaker until the Washington Post and the New York Times did their job for them of showing the FBI, here's your leaker. We're delivering to you with this head on, we're delivering him to you with his head on a pike. The FBI declined to comment. The New York Times spoke with four members of a Thug Shaker Central chat group, one of whom said he has known the person who leaked for at least three years, had met him in person, and referred to him as the OG. The friends described him as older than most of the group members, who were in their teens, and the undisputed leader. One of the friends said the OG had access to intelligence documents through his job. While the while the gaming friends would not identify the group's leader by name, a trail of digital evidence compiled by the Times leads to Airmen Teixeira. So you see there, they weren't even told what their name was. It was the New York Times that, on their own, did that work. The Times, the Times has been able to link Airmen Teixeira to other members of the Thug Shaker Central Group through his online gaming profile and other records. Details of the interior of Airman Teixeira's childhood home posted on social media and family photographs also match details on the margins also match details on the margins of some of the photographs of the leaked secret documents. The Times has also established through social media posts and military records that Airman Teixeira is enlisted in the 102nd Intelligence Wing of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. Posts on the unit's official Facebook page congratulated Airman Teixeira and colleagues for being promoted by Airman First Class in July 2022. So there you see what the New York Times did. They did the work of a law enforcement investigator. They followed the trail and found out who this person was, investigated where he lives, and published it, and that's what enabled the FBI to go and find this leaker. It is remarkable. I mean, if you actually think about it, it is remarkable. Let's remember that the 
function of journalism is supposed to be to try and cultivate sources who have access to this sort of information. When you have a leaker of classified information, and the New York Times has been reporting on these documents, they've been going through these documents and writing article after article after article discussing what it is that they reveal, obviously necessarily signifying that the judgment of the New York Times journalistically is that these documents have real value to the public. The New York Times has been using them in their reporting day after day after day. Now, it is ingrained in you as a journalist that your central overarching duty is to protect people who do this. You're supposed to shield them from being found out. You're supposed to guide them to use encrypted channels so that they're not caught by the government. You're supposed to provide them with secure means in order to enable this information to be given to the public. And remember, so sacred is this journalistic duty to protect sources and try and help them avoid exposure that if you're a journalist and you get subpoenaed by the government or the courts and the court orders you to testify about the identity of your source, the person who provided you classified information, you're expected to go to jail. You're expected to refuse to disclose their name and instead go to jail in order to protect your source. And here the New York Times and the Washington Post are doing exactly the opposite. They're working for the FBI and revealing that information to ensure that this source ends up in prison. Now, this is not the first time this behavior has been not just committed, but celebrated. During the Trump years, there was a woman who is a blogger. She's a resistance blogger. She was a fanatical Russia gator. To be honest, I believe very strongly she's unwell. She worked at The Intercept for a very short period of time, so I don't even want to name her. I've never felt comfortable criticizing her publicly because I don't think she's well, but she believed, she says, that someone who she regarded as a source who was giving her information for her blog, she started fantasizing. She created this elaborate fantasy that this person, who was actually a very old man who was dying of cancer, was instead a central cog in the collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, and Russia. She believed she had discovered the smoking gun that would enable Robert Mueller to prove the conspiracy that the Trump campaign had worked with the Russian government to hack into the DNC and Podesta's emails. And what she did was she picked up the phone and she called the Mueller team and the FBI and she said, I have a source who I believe is crucial to your investigation, and she snitched on him. She turned the, na the, the name of her source over to the FBI and to the Mueller investigation. No one even subpoenaed her to do that. No one asked her to do that. No one sought that information. For decades, the idea was if you're a journalist, you're supposed to go to prison rather than give over the name of your source when you're subpoenaed. When a court orders you to, you're still not supposed to. She did it voluntarily. She picked up the phone and called the Mueller team and called the FBI and said, and begged them to pay attention to her. Now, as it turned out, it was completely unhinged. This person wasn't even mentioned in the Mueller report. He had no role at all to play. And of course, even Mueller himself ultimately concluded 
but he could find no evidence to establish this crazy conspiracy theory that people like her and the resistance part of the media spent years promoting. But she was applauded for having done that, for having snitched on her own source, because in the Trump years, everything changed. They turned journalism on their head. And so what was once something that would have been the biggest disgrace for a journalist to do, turn over the identity of their source to the government, even if you're subpoenaed, became something that they applauded. She had a big write-up in the Washington Post by Margaret Sullivan, the media columnist for the Washington Post, who used to be the public editor of the New York Times. And she got another very favorable write-up in the CNN. They were applauding her. This unwell woman, who they were treating as a journalist, for having snitched on her own source without even being asked to do so. She was begging the Mueller team. She had this fantasy that she was an important part of the Mueller team. She had found the smoking gun. So this ethos has been being stomped on for years like so much else under the Trump administration to the point where it is now considered noble for journalists to partner with the CIA and the FBI and Homeland Security and root out people who provide transparency to the government, which is supposed to be the job of journalists and media outlets. Now, everybody is fighting for the credit, for the snitching credit. So earlier today, the group that is very popular among the corporate media called Bellingcat, which as we're about to show you is actually funded by the US government and by the EU, went onto Twitter and they demanded their credit. There you see the official Bellingcat Twitter account, and they write, quote, new, Bellingcat's Eric Toller worked with the New York Times to uncover a trail of digital evidence that appears to identify Jack Teixeira, 21-year-old Air National Guardsman, as the leader of an online gaming chat group where U.S. intelligence documents leaked on April 13, 2023. Do you see how they're all so proud of themselves? And I don't know if we have the documents. We're about to pull it up that shows you who it is who actually funds Bellingcat. They get treated as some kind of independent media outlet. These news outlets constantly partner with them and claim they're some sort of like independent investigatory outlet, when in reality, they work hand in hand with Western intelligence communities all over the world, do the bidding of Western intelligence communities. I'm not even remotely surprised that Bellingcat is actually doing this. So here you see on the screen the funding that's right from their own account. There, that first line, you see it says income from nonprofit organizations. And the first item is the National Endowment for Democracy, which was budgeted to give them $160,000 in 2020. The National Endowment for Democracy is an entity created by the US Congress, funded by the US Congress. It's a well-known arm of the CIA and always has been. You can find reporting everywhere that demonstrates that. And what the National Endowment for Democracy has always done is it's worked with the CIA hand in hand to destabilize governments around the world in the name of spreading democracy. They're an arm of the US government. That too funds Bellingcat. And then if you go to the next item, right here, they, they actually, let's go back to that document, the last page. There you see, there you see, Income from governments. They admit they're funded by the government. They're funded right there by the EU as well. $50,000 budgeted for 2020 on top of the $160,000 budgeted from the National Endowment of Democracy. They're directly funded by the government while the media pretends they're independent. And this is who the New York Times worked with, partnered with, a government-funded agency 
to track down a leaker to turn him over to the FBI. Uh, here from uh, Declassified UK, which is an independent media outlet, quite a good one, it details what the National Endowment of Democracy is, that they funded groups such as Bellingcat and others. And a former CIA officer tells them that it's a, quote, vehicle for U.S. government propaganda. And it goes to the history of the National Endowment of Democracy and the way in which Congress has plowed huge amounts of money into them over the years because, of course, they do the bidding of the U.S. government just like the New York Times and the Washington Post does. Now, there was a Pentagon briefing today about this leak. And journalists could have gone there and pressed the Pentagon on the lies they got caught telling. They've been denying that there are U.S. troops deployed in Ukraine, yet these documents show that there are special forces on the ground in Ukraine. Why did you lie to the American public? Why did you deceive the American public? They could have done that, things like that. And all the other revelations substantively of this document that we reviewed in our reporting on Monday, and by the way, we published the key documents we included as well as other ones we've reviewed and will continue to on our Locals platform for those of you who want to see it. But this press briefing today at the Pentagon was unbelievable because they were uninterested in pressing the government on those lies. What they were doing instead was demanding that the government do more to go and hunt down the leaker and arrest him and punish him. And more importantly, in demanding that the government tighten the, the reins on the, the information that will be available in the future. Listen to what these journalists did today. Okay, in the days after the leaks came to light, what steps has DOD taken to reduce the number of people who have access to not only these classified briefings, but the classified material in general? But you are taking steps to tighten that, I guess, population who might have access to this level of information. General Ryder, you say that there are strict protocols in place, and yet a 21-year-old airman was able to access some of the nation's top secrets. How did this happen, and isn't this a massive security breach? What is your message to anyone who might be thinking of leaking these kind of documents in the future? Can you tell us, where are there less people who have access to this type of information today than there were a week ago? Yeah. To follow on that, these documents were available long before April 5th and 6th. So what took so long for <laughs> DOD and the intelligence communities to, to locate these documents? Are you going to release this airman's service record? What technologies is the Pentagon applying right now to both spot leaked documents online and track potential indicators of leaking type practices? Do you plan to be investing in more? Given the gravity of the situation, are you actively paring down the distribution list now? Is this a, a process that's moving quickly? Or is it going to, to take time for there to be meaningful substantive changes to the distribution? And then is DOD or has DOD taken additional measures to restrict the access to classified information of others in the Massachusetts Air National Guard? Um, sort of as a follow-on to Carla and Brandy's questions, um, can you say whether DOD has anyone looking at uh, chat rooms on Discord, for example, or other social media platforms right now? for leaked information, and um, if not, should, should DOD have these people? Can you believe that? I mean, it, it is mind-boggling. These are journalists. At least that's the title that they are given within their corporations by the, the Human Resources Department. And they marched down to the Pentagon today in unison not to demand accountability about what the Pentagon did and what it, how it lied, but 
they were demanding that more be done to prevent leaks in the future. They were angry the Pentagon didn't stop this leak earlier. They were angry the Pentagon would allow a leak like this to take place. They're demanding that technology be used to restrict who's act, who can access classified information to ensure that there are no leaks in the future. What, it's, it, what kind of journalist would have the mindset that you would want the government to have less information available and demand that they make things more secretive and more classified and complain that something leaked? Unless you are such a apparatchik and servant of the U.S. security state that you are begging them to clamp down on leaks, which is what they're doing, it is mind-boggling that this is the mentality of journalists, although it shouldn't be. I mean, that's the paradox, is that I come before this camera frequently, I've been writing for years, arguing that the real function of the people in these media corporations are to serve as propagandists and servants for these agencies. Nonetheless, why am I so indignant and why do I consider it mind-boggling when I watch it happen? I don't know, except I guess I could just say that this is a particularly egregious and vivid example. It is an escalation to actually watch these media outlets out in public, proudly assuming the role of the FBI in punishing leakers. Now, as we noted, we did a whole show on Monday, there are unquestionably important revelations in these documents. I'm not going to say that if I had been given these documents, I would have published every one of these documents. I would not have. I would have redacted some. Some I would have concluded probably aren't in the public interest. But unquestionably, there are important revelations, the most one, the important one of which is the one I referenced earlier, that the U.S. actually has deployed special forces, so we're on the ground in Ukraine, no congressional authorization, no public acknowledgement. But here from the Washington Post, and we actually talked a lot about this when we referenced the fact that people in the region suspect this might be a disinformation campaign, the headline there, you see it, is uh, no Russia-Ukraine peace talks expected this year, U.S. leaks show. So according to these documents, the position of the U.S. government is there will be no resolution of the war this year. So get ready to keep reaching into your pocket and sending more and more of your money to President Zelensky and his very corrupt minions and Kiev. Quote, the grinding war between Ukraine and Russia is expected to bleed into 2024, with neither side securing victory, yet both refusing to negotiate an end to the conflict, according to a defense intelligence agency assessment that is among the highly sensitive U.S. government materials leaked online and obtained by the Washington Post. Quote, negotiations to end the conflict are unlikely during 2023, we're only in April, negotiations to end the conflict are unlikely during 2023 in all considered scenarios, says the document, which had not been previously disclosed. At the same time, Ukraine will probably intensify its reliance on strikes inside Russian territory, the document says, a dynamic that has disquieted some U.S. officials fearful that such attacks could compel President Vladimir Putin to escalate the conflict or give China cause to begin providing lethal support to Russia. As an American, do you want to know that? I do. I want to know that the position of our government is there will be no meaningful negotiations in 2023, no prospect to end the war. And I also want to know that President Zelensky, President Zelensky intends to use the money we're sending him 
and the weapons we're providing to launch strikes deep inside Russia. We were told when we furnished increasingly advanced systems, weapon systems to, to Kiev, that it was on the condition that it not be used to launch strikes deep inside Russia because of the obvious danger that that could immediately provoke escalation with a nuclear armed power. And yet now we learn, as we should know, that in fact, that's exactly what's happening. There are all kinds of important revelations inside these materials that journalists ought to be applauding if you are actually a journalist, if you really are devoted to the journalistic function of providing transparency and informing the American people and exposing the deceit of what the government says. They are not. That's why they're angry. You would be angry at this leaker and these leaks if you work for the FBI or the CIA or Homeland Security or the Pentagon. The people who are at the New York Times and the Washington Post work for those agencies. That is why they're angry. It, it is, it is mind-boggling to see it all play out this way. Now, I think it's very worth emphasizing that there are times when these same media outlets love leaks and leakers. In fact, during the Trump years, the leaks that under the law are considered to be the gravest crimes were ones that were celebrated by the Washington Post. Let me just show you one example. This is from May of 2020. It is a Washington Post article headlined here. Have the transcripts of the calls between Michael Flynn and the Russian diplomat uh, as, they, as they discuss sanctions. Now, let me just remind you what happened here. General Flynn was supposed to be President Trump's national security advisor. As part of the transition, once Trump won the election, he did what transition teams always do, which is he reached out to his counterparts inside other governments. And he specifically reached out, as one, the many calls that he was doing, to the Russian, uh, to Russian Ambassador Kislyak. And they talked about whether or not the sanctions regime that President Obama had imposed as response to supposed Russian interference in our election would continue. He was doing exactly what a national security advisor was supposed to do. What happened, though, was the government, the NSA, was spying on Kislyak's calls, which is appropriate. But as a result, they ended up spying on Michael Flynn's conversations as well. And somebody inside the government gave the transcript of that recorded conversation between Ambassador Kislyak and Michael Flynn to the Washington Post. It gave it to David Ignatius, and he reported on that call early on in the Trump presidency in February of 2017. Now, that leak was celebrated. We have no idea who that leaker was. No one ever looked for that leaker. The New York Times didn't find that leaker. The Washington Post didn't find that leaker. And in the entire universe of types of information that you want to leak, there are only about three or four categories that are considered the most serious. These categories of information are so serious that it's not only a crime for someone inside the government who's authorized to have these secrets, leak them to someone outside of the government. That's true of all classified information. It's always a crime. If you're someone who works in the government, you're authorized to get classified information, and you leak it to someone outside the government. That's automatically a crime. But it's not a crime for the journalist to publish the information. The journalist who gets that classified information can publish it freely and not be guilty of a crime. Only the leaker is guilty of a crime except in three cases 
where the information is deemed so sensitive and so dangerous to leak that it's even a crime for the journalist who gets it to publish it. And one of those are things like transcripts between targets of the NSA and foreign nationals or U.S. citizens. So here is the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Code 18, Section 798. It's called Disclosure of Classified Information. And here they define which are the specific categories that if journalists leak, journalists can be held accountable criminally, not just the source. One such category of documents is, quote, A, whoever knowingly and willfully communicates or otherwise makes available to an unauthorized person any classified information obtained by the processes of communications intelligence from the communications of any foreign government knowing the same to have been obtained by such processes shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. The reason for that is obvious. If you expose to Ambassador Kislyak that the NSA is able to spy on his calls, he will change the way he communicates. That is what the Washington Post did. That is how much they loved leaks. Nobody cared, nobody objected, nobody ever found that leaker. A far graver disclosure and leak than what this 21-year-old just did. Obviously, a 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts Air Guard, National Guard, does not have access to the most sensitive secrets. So there was virtually no harm that could even conceivably come from these leaks, this one today. But the New York Times and the Washington Post were so outraged they actually unmasked it. Far greater and more serious and more severe and more dangerous leaks were approved of and cheered during the Trump administration. Now, just to show you how selective the corporate media is when it comes to leaks, let's remember that somebody basically destroyed the protocol for how the Supreme Court functions, the way in which the justices can trust one another during the process of negotiating drafts by leaking a draft, an early draft of the decision in the Dobbs case that overturned Roe versus Wade. And we, I'd like to remind you, despite a supposed very thorough investigation, have no idea who that leaker is either. The New York Times, Bellingcat, The Washington Post never found those, didn't look for them, didn't find them. And in fact, here you have from the Liberal New Republic in January 2023, an article, the headline says it all. We still don't know who leaked Dobbs. Good. What we should root out, why we should root against leak investigations. So when it comes to leaks they like, we're supposed to root against leak investigations. We should be happy that the leaker isn't found. Do you see how craven they are? How completely unmoored from any principles? Now, regarding this idea that corporate media has become in the Trump era servants of, agents of federal law enforcement, the FBI, there is a reporter who was at Huffington Post named Ryan Riley, who after January 6th became so devoted to also doing the FBI's work of finding every conceivable person who had any relationship in January 6th. Not people who carried out violence inside the Capitol, just anyone who was on the Capitol grounds, who was near the rally. And in fact, he actually celebrated this group that was called Sedition Hunters 
because he devoted himself to doing the FBI's work of finding everyone involved in January 6th. There you see the headline where he celebrates it, sedition hunters meet the online sleuths aiding the FBI's capital manhunt. Six months and 500 arrests into the January 6th probe, a motley crew of online sleuth is generating leads, making connections, and keeping the feds on their toes. And he participated in this, this reporter Ryan Riley. He was a central player in doing the FBI's work, as he said. And he got promoted. He now works for NBC News because of how much help he lent to the FBI to hunt down American citizens protesting the 2020 election. And in just within the last couple days, Attorney General Merrick Garland went to testify before the Senate and he heaped praise on these sedition hunters. And here's the tweet from Ryan Riley, just from, I believe, today, in which he is celebrating the fact that it's actually not from today. Uh, we'll check the date. But it's, uh, he's celebrating the fact he's so happy that he got a pat on the head from the attorney general who oversees the FBI. Thank you. What's that? It's from 2021. This tweet is October 2021. He's just so happy that he got praise, a pat on the head from the attorney general. Listen to this, this video. Do we have that video? So it's basically Merrick Garland saying, I want to really thank the citizen sleuths across the country who have helped us so much find the people on January 6th. This is what these journalists do. This is how they see themselves. Now, during the Obama administration, just like during the Biden administration, leakers were hated. Here, for example, is PolitiFact. Fact-checking a, a statement from Jake Tapper is true, where Jake Tapper pointed out, quote, the Obama administration has used the Espionage Act to go after whistleblowers who leaked to journalists more than all previous administrations combined. That was in the Obama era. Leakers were hated. Obama used the Espionage Act of 1917 to prosecute more whistleblowers than every single administration combined since 1917. In fact, double the number. So again, under Biden, under Obama, they hate leakers. They want to destroy them. But under Trump, they were venerated. People like Alexander Vidman were turned into national heroes. The person who leaked the Dobb ruling. Anyone who the person who leaked the NSA transcripts, the most closely guarded secret of Michael Flynn's conversation with Ambassador Kislyak. That's because the NSA, the security state, was the ones doing those leaks to undermining Trump, and that's whose side the corporate media is. Now, just to conclude, um, because as I said, I'm about to be on Tucker Carlson's show to talk about some of these issues. Uh, a lot of what I saw about the corporate media, I learned during the Snowden reporting. When we started doing the Snowden reporting, the corporate media was incredibly hostile to that reporting, in part out of just professional jealousy that the leaks didn't go to them, but also because they were indignant that Edward Snowden, and then working with me and Laura Poitras, an independent journalist, had exposed NSA spying on American citizens. They were furious about it, just like they hate Matt Taibbi and the Twitter file journalists for exposing what the Homeland Security and CIA and FBI are doing and imposing a censorship regime on the internet. They hate people who expose the secrets of their masters, which is the US security state. And the first time I went to meet the press after the Snowden story broke, 
I was asked by the then host of Meet the Press, David Gregory, Mr. Greenwald, shouldn't you be in prison along with Mr. Snowden? That's how angry they were about the Snowden reporting. But the most despicable thing I've ever seen is that the Washington Post got hold of one part of the Snowden archive and they used those documents to do reporting on the NSA just like the New York Times Washington Post used this recently to do reporting. And along with us, the Washington Post won a Pulitzer, shared in the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service for the reporting that they did on the NSA based on the documents from Edward Snowden that Edward Snowden furnished to us. The Washington Post used them and exploited them, got tons of traffic to their site for these articles, and then ultimately won a Pulitzer. And they celebrated themselves. They could not have heaped enough praise on themselves and their bravery and courage when they won a Pulitzer. Here you see on April 14, 2014, the Washington Post article, Washington Post wins Pulitzer Prize for NSA spying revelations. The Guardian is also honored. And there you see three of them. The Washington Post had no courage. They wouldn't go to Hong Kong with us to meet Edward Snowden. They let us take those risks. They got one part of the archive. They used those documents. They claimed that they did a great public service. They celebrated themselves. And then this is what they did. Edward Snowden was their source for the Pulitzer Prize winning reporting they did. And when at the end of the Obama administration in 2016 there was a move by the ACLU, by me, by the New York Times even to their credit to advocate that Edward Snowden should be pardoned or should have his sentence commuted because he did a great public service. As we reviewed the other day, the spying system he let us, he let me reveal was declared unconstitutional and illegal by a court of appeals because it infringed the privacy rights of American citizens. And when that debate was happening about whether to pardon Edward Snowden, the same Washington Post that celebrated itself and its courage for their use of his documents turned around and published an editorial entitled, No Pardon for Edward Snowden. In other words, they were demanding that Edward Snowden, their source, be prosecuted and imprisoned because, according to them, he broke the law and deserved to go to prison, even though the Washington Post themselves benefited and used those documents. Listen to what they said, quote, Mr. Snowden's defenders don't deny that he broke the law, not to mention oaths and contractual obligations when he copied and kept 1.5 million classified documents. By the way, that number is a total lie that came from the FBI. The Washington Post has no idea how many documents Snowden had because he never gave his documents or the full archive to the Post. That's a figure they got from the government and that figure was derived because, the F, because it was based on the number of documents with which Snowden interacted over the years that he worked there. The Post goes on. They argue rather that Mr. Snowden's noble purposes and the policy changes his whistleblowing prompted justified his actions. Specifically, he made the documents public through journalists, including reporters working for the Post, enabling the American public to learn for the first time that the NSA was collecting domestic telephone metadata, informing information about the time of a call and the parties to it, but not its contents, in mass with no case-by-case -case court approval. The program was a stretch, if not an outright violation of federal surveillance law, and posed risk to privacy. It also was unconstitutional, as courts ruled. Congress and the President eventually responded with corrective legislation. It's fair to say we owe these necessary reforms to Mr. Snowden. And then they go on. The complication is that Mr. Snowden did more than that. 
He also pilfered and leaked information about a separate overseas NSA internet monitoring program, PRISM, that was both clearly legal and not threatening to privacy. Now, that is a lie. The PRISM program allowed NSA spying on American citizens. Do you know the name of the newspaper that first exposed the PRISM program? The Washington Post. They're the ones who decided that that story was worthy of publication. I published it at the same time. So they, they're the ones who decided it was in the public interest, the public had a right to know, and then they turn around and cite their own story as a reason Snowden should go to prison. And then they say this. They list the stories they think were inappropriate. Every single one of these stories was published not by me, but by the New York Times and the Washington Post over Snowden's objections. Many of these stories enraged Snowden because these were not the kinds of stories he wanted the archive used for. So the Washington Post says this, worse, far worse, he also leaked details of basically defensible international intelligence operations. Cooperation with Scandinavian services against Russia, spying on the wife of an Osama bin Laden associate, and certain offensive cyber operations in China. No specific harm, actual or attempted, to any individual American was ever shown to have resulted from the NSA telephone metadata program. In contrast, his revelations about the agency's international operations disrupted lawful intelligence gathering, causing possibly tremendous damage to national security according to a unanimous bipartisan report by the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. What higher cause did that serve? Do you understand that? There's a newspaper admitting that they used this source to win a Pulitzer. And then because they're such servants to the intelligence community, they turned around and said, we don't want the government to pardon him. We want the government to prosecute him. And they, in order to make that argument, they cited the stories that they, the Washington Post, and the New York Times decided to publish. Not that Edward Snowden wanted published, not that I published. And that's exactly what they're doing today. Obviously, this leak is not the Snowden leak. It's not going to win a Pulitzer, but it's most definitely in the public interest. And the fact that the media outlets are doing, yet again, what their role is, which is working for the FBI, demanding the government keep information from you instead of enabling you to see the truth about what your government doing should forever reveal their real function, which is the exact opposite of what they claim. They are not here to inform and bring transparency. They are here to propagandize on behalf of the state. And I cannot think of any incident, any event that proves that more compellingly than the events of the last 24 hours. So that concludes our show for today. As always, we are very appreciative of those of you who have watched. If you want to become a member of our Locals community, which gives you access to all the written reporting we do, to the transcripts of each show, to the live after show we do, each time we do a show, you can simply join our Locals platform. There's the red join button right below the video player on the Rumble page that also supports our journalism. Please keep coming back every night at 7 p.m. Eastern, exclusively here on Rumble. Have a great evening, everybody.